A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome along to the La Liga Lowdown podcast. I am your host this evening, or morning, wherever you're listening to this, or whatever time it is. I'm Rory Barlow. I'm joined by the omnipresent Matt Clark, the all-seeing eye of Spanish football. How are you doing, Matt? That's a very, very generous introduction. I'm very well, thank you, Rory. Hope you are too. I, I can't decide if you're more of a sort of deity all-seeing <laughs> eye, or if it's more of an eye of Sauron, but... Um, <laughs> How are you? How did you sort of feel after this weekend's of Spanish football? We're back from the international break. Are you well rested? And uh, yeah, what are your general thoughts on this weekend? I did enjoy the international break. Um, obviously, very important for World Cup qualification. It was nice to see Spain play a couple of friendlies. Um, but yeah, very good to have La Liga back. We're now into the final stretch of the season. Things matter pretty much everywhere you look. And uh, yeah, Champions League, Europa League coming back as well. So it's really getting to the crunch time now. Yeah, it is. it's nice to know that we're sort of on that sort of run of games where everything's important, there's no breaks coming up. Starting with La Liga and sort of the title race, I think the we're, we're going to start with Madrid this week. They got a 2-1 victory away to Celta Vigo. Very important. Karim Benzema was back in the lineup, as was Furlong Mendy. What did you think of this performance from Real Madrid? Because they weren't entirely convincing. They did get three penalties which aided them um, significantly but yeah what were your thoughts on Madrid this match? Uh, well I think they had to respond after the Classico that was a obviously humiliating embarrassing result it um, obviously lingered because it was the last game before the break so it, you know it was in the press for like a week until the internationals kicked off so they had to respond and get back on track in their title charge there were questions raised about Ancelotti he was missing with Covid so there was a lot a lot riding on this game, and, and Balaidos, we know they can hurt the biggest sides, especially um, this wasn't an easy game, and uh, Madrid, to be fair, they played like it wasn't an easy game. Um, Celta were pretty impressive throughout, Yago Aspas doing Yago Aspas things, um, had a fantastic free kick, which was really well saved by Thibaut Courtois. But then, you know, I think the ultimate difference in this game was at opposite ends of the pitch, Thibaut Courtois in goal for Real Madrid, and, and Karim Benzema up front. He, um, he started, which again, Knowing Ancelotti like we do, he doesn't like to rotate or rest players too much. But given that Chelsea is on the horizon, I was quite surprised that, that he did start Benzema. I thought he would try and... I, I suppose, though, the, the Modric experiment in the Glasgow was so bad that as soon as Benzema was fit, you kind of knew he was going to be straight back in. Three penalties, two converted, um, one saved. The third of which was particularly controversial. Yago Aspas after the game saying that the only way it would have been better for Gonzalez Fuertes, the referee, was if he'd have taken the penalty himself. But um, Madrid back on track. Uh, I think they'd need about five wins, really, from the last eight to, to win the title. So very much still front runners. But um, 
they're not playing particularly well, which which will be a concern for a lot of fans. Yeah, obviously controversy over those penalties and the disallowed goal. I have to say, as much as um, I want to tint my glasses, I do think three of those decisions were right. I thought the third penalty, as you say, was a bit of a disgrace, to be honest. I thought Mendy should have been booked for that as opposed to, to getting a penalty for it. And, and it does impact the enjoyment of this because it would have this was an important win for Real Madrid and it would have been interesting to see how they would have got through that adversity if they hadn't had that sort of third penalty given to them. Moving on now to Atleti, who also have a Champions League tie coming up. They made slightly harder work work of this Alaves match than they needed to, but in the end they got the result. Yeah, the scoreline flatters them a little bit. Um, they went ahead really early. João Felix once again uh, scoring early. He's made a bit of a trademark of that in the early months of or weeks of 2022. Uh, he's looking very much plugged in and enchufado, as they say in Spain, which is a, a real kind of uh, fillet for Simeone because there was so much criticism about his handling of João Felix and, oh, you've paid all this money and you're not playing him and he's not in the right position, he's not enjoying it. But you can clearly see now that he definitely is. He's he's given importance in the team. He's given, uh, you know, focal point. In the end, uh, the substitutions paid dividends from Simeone. I thought Mateus Cunha back from injury was very impressive off the bench. Uh, Lamar came on late too, and uh, they ended up running out four four one winners. Uh, João Felix with a couple, uh, Suarez with a couple, one from a penalty spot. So, yeah, it's looking pretty rosy for Atleti. That's six wins on the bounce now in La Liga. Yeah, and I wanted to get your thoughts on Cunha because he really changed the game. His runs in behind were, were what Alaves couldn't deal with in those final minutes. And those three goals came in the last 20 minutes as, as Atleti looked for a winner. But who would you be starting against Manchester City? Because I know Griezmann and João Felix started against Manchester United. That probably would have been my preferred pair. But would you give Correa a shout? I, to be honest, I don't see Suarez starting. But Correa or Cunha, would they be a better shout? than Griezmann for you or I'd, I'd say no um, I think you're right to ask about Cunha because before Atleti's bad run of form he was playing well then he gets injured and then it kind of that's when the form uh, dips as well so correlation of course perhaps but there is something in that um, you're right you're absolutely right Correa has been really fundamental in many moments for Simeone and he clearly trusts him a lot plays in most games but um, I would stick with the kind of Jaoman combination that works so well in the Champions League because <laughs> Griezmann's got that big game intelligence, he's got that know-how uh, and, and his work rate as well is going to be a huge advantage at the Etihad. I think obviously the main aim for Atleti is to, to go to the Etihad and, and still be in the tie, taking it back to Madrid. And moving on to sort of, well, if I want to link it with a player who's also sort of uh, had a click with the manager and a click with the fans, Usman Dembele got a sort of standing ovation as he came off um, in the Sunday night partidato, Barcelona beat Sevilla 1-0 at Camp Nou and, and Dembélé technically gets an assist for Pedri's kind of wonder goal. How did you kind of see this match? And I'm going to come to you on Sevilla first. Um, I mean, they played relatively well, but never, once they won a goal down, they never quite looked like bringing it back for me. Yeah, these are the kind of games that show you where Sevilla's level are. And I mean that with, with all the respect in the world to, to Sevilla and their fans, because I really think Lopetegui's done a marvellous job because they weren't even a top four contender when he arrived. They were kind of sixth, seventh every season. He's made them solid in the top four and even pushing to challenge for the title in consecutive seasons. So absolutely credit to that. And uh, the injuries they've had have, have really conditioned their form lately. 
But when you look back at their record away from home, at the Camp Nou, at the Bernabeu, and at Atleti, whether it's Calderon or one of Metropolitano, it's pretty abysmal. There's no other way of putting it. That's, that's 14 years since they've won at any of those stadiums in the league. And under Lopetegui, they haven't been able to, to win any, any big game uh, home or away. Only Atleti a couple of times, but uh, haven't been able to beat Barca or Madrid in the league. Again, this game, it was probably the approach was, was working. It was very solid defence. But in the end, you just kind of felt that it was a case of, well, when are Barca going to score rather than if? Because they had all the pressure. Sevilla had moments on the break, but I thought Araujo snuffed them out pretty well every time. Testegen wasn't really called upon until, until it was 1-0. An excellent goal that sort of broke the deadlock. They lacked a little bit of sharpness for me. They weren't quite as precise as they have been. And I think when you are playing that kind of style and you're trying to break down a, a defence like that, you do need to be hitting those margins and I think that's what makes the difference yeah Barcelona are now in second as you say Sevilla on 57 points the same as Barcelona as are Atleti Barcelona I think are, are up on sort of head-to-heads and everything but they sit 12 points back from Real Madrid so they do have a game in hand so they could cut that gap to nine but still looking fairly rosy for Real Madrid I'm going to come on to sort of a historic event and we wanted to sort of pay a lot of attention to this now because, yeah, okay, it, it's not strictly La Liga, but it is the Women's Champions League and it did happen in Spain and it was a sort of world record attendance at a women's game for Barcelona-Real Madrid in the Women's Champions League, which Barcelona ran out 5-2 winners. But we wanted to get the thoughts of Diana Christen, who spoke to Matt and she was at the game as well. You're going to hear some clips from Mia Eriksson, you're going to hear from Goal España and Alex Ibaceta of Dazón. That opens with Alexia Putellas literally banging the drum for Barcelona and the celebrations with the fans at the end of the match. That's going to close out part one. We're going to take a quick break after that, but uh, we'll catch up with you in part two. I'm now here with Diana Christine, who is a, a Barca Femini fan, and she was one of the record 91,553 people at Camp Nou last week to see an historic Clasico between Barcelona and Real Madrid Femenino. Diana, thank you so much for joining us on the show. First of all, can you describe what it was like to be there at Camp Nou the other night? Hi. Uh, yeah, so it was pretty amazing. Like. I could feel I got to the stadium about an hour before the game and I, you could just feel it like there was a just a river of people flowing towards the stadium and you could feel it from the street that this was going to be amazing. And uh, there was a special vibe because there were a lot of children, there were a lot of uh, women, a lot of young girls there and you could just feel that it was a different night. Like I've been to the Camp Nou before but <clears throat> This just felt like a different experience from the moment you got there. And then uh, you got into the stadium, like I went into my seats about 
I don't know, I think it was 15 minutes before kickoff. And I could see, you know, that people kept coming in, but it didn't look at the start of the game like a, there was going to be a record crowd, but it still felt amazing. Like, uh, Barca Femini have never played in a, I mean, they had played in the camp now before, but they had not played with fans there. And all yeah. of a sudden, at the start of the game, you had almost, I think it was around 70,000 people at the at kickoff. Like you could see the camp now wasn't full, but it was already a lot of people. So from the get-go, it was amazing. And everybody was just cheering for them and singing. And they were making mad noise from when their names were read out and everything. So it was just amazing to and I feel really like <laughs> deeply fortunate to have been a part of this because oh, it sounds perfect and and from from the TV you could see the the color and the noise and and just the amount of support as you say they had uh, there was a, a massive kind of uh, a banner shown across the whole stand before the game more than empowerment and that's what it was all about wasn't it inspiring the next generation to say well hang on we don't just have to watch football at the camp now we can also play here too and that, that is typified by Alexia Puteas, the uh, the Ballon d'Or winner, the, the captain. She was fantastic in the game, wasn't she? Yeah, and I mean, she always is amazing and she's such an amazing leader for this team and the perfect representative for everything that Barca as a club should be and what it represents because she is just a brilliant player and a role model and she, she, uh, an amazing leader for this team who keeps making history because every like in 2019 they played the Champions League final against Lyon and they were soundly beaten like they were nowhere in that game like it just showed that like okay Lyon is up there and we're just like nowhere close to that so from that point on, I mean, she was amazing at that time too, but yeah. people didn't recognize that because she didn't have the team around her. So from that moment on, from 2019, the club, this is one of the, like the women's team is one of the few bright spots to come out of the whole Bartomeu regime. And they really invested in this and they uh, brought in more players like international players and from that point on, from 2019, the team just kept growing and they kept pushing themselves to basically be perfect because that's what they saw Leon being. Like that was the standard for them. And they kept pushing themselves and pushing themselves. And we got the treble last year. And from that point on, they've been, I mean, last season they were amazing. And this year they just keep going and going and going because they know that they, they have to keep that level up to win the Champions League again and to keep making history. So yeah, Alexia is amazing, but the thing is that she's been amazing for a bunch of years. And just now in the last couple of years, she got the team around her to be as great as she is so that everybody could see and recognize her for what she is, like the best player in the world. Yeah, undoubtedly a team of champions. And they showed that again on the pitch. There was uh, seven different goal scorers across the game. It was 5-2 on the night. A great spectacle for everyone to see. Um, and it's Wolfsburg in the next round in the semi-finals. 
And there's talk again that they will be able to play at Camp Nou for that game. So how exciting is that again as, as a fan of, of women's football and football in general to see this being showcased on the big stage? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, it has been my opinion for the last couple of years at least that they should be playing at the Camp Nou regularly. I mean, at least the Champions League home games in the knockout ties because they really deserve to be seen by as many people as possible and to be celebrated. And I think that because this happened and because this was a record, I mean, it. I can't guarantee that the next time that they play, I mean, hopefully if they get to play also at the Camp Nou, it will be a record crowd again because this was such an amazing thing that it probably won't happen again. Maybe it will, but I can't guarantee it. But they need to have that opportunity to keep bringing more people in because at this big stadium, there were a lot of people that maybe, I mean, some came just to see them, but some just like came to see, I don't know, the stadium, to get a chance to uh, watch a game at the Camp Nou when the tickets weren't as expensive and when they had the opportunity. Because there were like there, there was a lady behind me who kept explaining to the person she was with, like, this is that player and she did that and this is that player. And, and you keep growing the game like that because more people have the opportunity to come and see the team play and to fall in love with them but because you can't not fall in love with them when they, when you see them play they're just amazing to watch and you want to see more of them so if you get constantly more people watching them then they're going to have more fans and that's just going to be better for the team and for the club because let's face it the reason that i mean being very cynical here the reason that they hadn't played at the Camp Nou before was because this had to be a great marketing opportunity. Yeah. So right now the team is a treble winner who has the best player in the world who is celebrated all around. So this was a big chance for the club to, you know, showcase this to the world and get a big boost from it. So. Yeah. You know, if you get the team, the women's team to have more fans, then that just leads to more marketing opportunities. If you want to have a really cynical view of it from every aspect, even if you want to take a cynical view of it, this is positive and this just should keep happening. I don't know if, I, I mean, hopefully it will be able to happen for, for the Wolfsburg game because I know that it might fall on the same weekend that the men's team also have a home game so we'll see how they work around that but hopefully this becomes a regular occurrence for the champions league games at least yeah definitely thank you so much diana um a marvelous occasion uh, a unique spectacle one that made headlines all around the world for all the right reasons um, absolutely putting women's football at you know really in the spotlight and um, that it fully deserves so thank you very much for sharing your experience of that night and for going into such detail about what this means for women's football so yeah thanks again for coming on and uh, we'll hope to speak to you again soon my pleasure thank you
Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome back to the Match Day 30 recap on the La Liga Lowdown podcast. Many thanks to Diana Christin, who great to have her on. She is one of my favourite followers on Twitter, so I highly recommend going and finding her. And she's an excellent source of authority and knowledge. Moving on to another source of knowledge and authority on Real Mallorca, where we spoke to Paul McGarrahy about Javier Aguirre, who's the new Mallorca manager, having replaced Luis García Plaza. And they took on Getafe this weekend. I'm here with Paul McGarrigy. He's the man from Manchester who supports Mallorca. He came on the preview podcast and now he's back to talk about all things Mallorca. Of course, they've been on a bad run and they sacked Luis García Plata before the international break. Javier Aguirre returned. It's his sixth different club in La Liga. Paul, thanks for coming back on. Uh, talk us through the reasons why the change kind of had to happen and, and what your thoughts are on Aguirre. Thanks for having me back, Matt. Um, yeah, so, I mean, it, it has been a bad run. We're talking prior to uh, Aguirre coming in, it was uh, six straight defeats under Luis Garcia Plaza. I think the last win was uh, match day, was it 23, against um, Cadiz? Um, so, 
it has been uh, quite a, a downward slope for the for the club of late, and I would say it started probably before the winter break. Um, the the peak of the season in some people's eyes might have been the away win at uh, Atletico Madrid, but um, if anything, that sort of distracted from the fact that the form had started to dip, and it felt a bit like. Um, Luis Garcia Plata, although did fantastic last season, it sort of felt like he was perhaps um, at the the limit of his abilities as coach, I think. Yeah, and uh, it was a very emotional press conference when he said goodbye to the club. Clearly quite an amicable split, quite a lot of love obviously still from the Mallorca fans towards him. What do you make then of of Aguirre and and his chances of turning things around? Because of course Mallorca dropped into the relegation zone just before the break and what do you think uh, Aguirre's strengths are and do you think he'll be able to to kind of use that to help Mallorca? Yeah, so I mean, I'm, I'm in two minds about Aguirre. I, I wasn't really the most um, convinced by the appointment, if I'm being honest with you. Um, but we've got to give everybody a fair crack and the club do tend to do their research on people. I mean, not many people were convinced by um the previous manager, but if, obviously he came in and he got the job done. So you've got to trust the process. I, I think... What we saw this weekend, um, where it was more of a, a battling performance rather than a, a forward or progressive style of football, um, is what we can expect. Um, and I think Aguirre knows that uh, it's it's backs against the wall now for um, the, the remaining games. And I think he'll have us playing more of an attritional style of football. We won't be as enjoyable to watch aesthetically, I don't think. But as long as we're effective, then uh, then that's all that really matters because it's, it's so important to stay up this year. To the game itself yesterday then, uh, it was a tight one at the Coliseum Alfonso Pérez, very cagey but uh, as you say it was quite defensive to start with but then uh, Mateo Lahoth kind of stole the show in the first half, uh, four, red, four yellow cards at once, uh, eight in total in the first half. Um, what did you think of, uh, of his performance and, and the way that it kind of affected the match? <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, it's always the Matteo Lahoff show, isn't it? Really, it's <laughs> if you expect anything else, you you know you you're barking up the wrong tree. It was uh, he does like to be the star man. I do think the uh, the sending off did change the game. Um, having said that, you know, I think the VAR intervention is maybe more of a, a talking point rather than Lahoth himself if, if I'm being honest with you it's it's a judgment on, on whether you think it was a fair one lesser of the law is it struck the um the arm of, uh, of Franco Russo it's harsh but it's it's correct I suppose uh, it doesn't make it any easier to uh, to swallow but yeah you mentioned that penalty incident of course uh Fran Russo seeing that second yellow did seem particularly harsh and uh, of course there was a, a kind of salvation because Sergio Rico saved the penalty from Enazonal and you're thinking, OK, they're going to hang on uh, with 10 men. But then uh, it was Borja Mayoral on as a half-time sub who kind of broke the hearts in the last 10 minutes, scoring that uh, well-taken goal. And it leaves Mallorca with, uh, with another defeat. So, um, yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because there were some positives in terms of the, the organisation, but scoring goals is probably going to be the, the hardest part now, isn't it? Definitely. Um, you know, when I saw the start in 11, I was a bit confused as to what the shape would be. Um, it, it, it was a bit worrying that we might be trying to out Hatafe Hatafe, which, you know, is not really, you're never really going to win that. Um, and I think it's fair to say that the games like this and probably the, the away game that's coming up against Elche in a, in a couple of weeks um, would be seen as must not lose rather than must win. 
and the home games against um you know we've got uh Alaves, we've got Rio Granada, I think Granada. It's, yeah. Um you know they're the must win games and so if we can get ten points that probably is enough but yeah, it's uh, goals are what win games, and and um, there wasn't much creativity on the, on the pitch when we started, and and certainly when we're down um, by by one man, it's uh, yeah, it's it's always going to be a difficult struggle to get anything more from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Aguirre performed miracles at uh, Zaragoza about about a decade ago, taking them from rock bottom to survival on the final day. Uh, of course, that was a while ago now, and his most recent. Um, job was at Leganes and he did well there again taking them from bottom they were only a point away from safety with uh, what people considered to be obviously a fairly kind of weak squad so yeah the, the jury's out I guess as you say give him a fair chance and, and see how he goes Atleti next though that'll be right in between the two matches with your own side Manchester City um, do you think uh, Cholo might be distracted a little bit between those two legs with Guardiola that Mallorca might be able to take advantage <laughs> I don't know. I, I I think the first leg of the Champions League game, obviously, with it being a, in Manchester, I think um, uh, I, I, w- I wouldn't expect uh, Atletico to uh, to put to strain too much. I think it'd be quite a conservative approach from them um, to to try and take the the uh, result back to the uh, the wonder. And, and in that case, it means that there might be some fresh legs. Not sorry, some uh, some tied legs uh, in in the Liga, so uh, it does open the window a bit to to Mallorca. But uh, again, you're asking a club um, like Mallorca with the squad that it has to do uh, the double over the reigning La Liga champions, and it's uh, yeah, it's it's quite far fetched <laughs> to expect it, I suppose. Many thanks to Paul McGarrahy there. The relegation battle is getting very interesting. That Hitafe win really puts Mallorca in it. One team that has finally sort of got off the bottom, I think it was 16 match days later or so, Levante beat Villarreal 2-0 at home in a sort of local derby. Really didn't see this one coming, I have to say, Matt. I thought even though Levante's home form had been a bit better, they were unbeaten and free at home. But yeah, Levante somehow managing to beat European contenders and Champions League quarter-finalists 2-0 at home. Well, yeah, uh, hard to explain. Um, Levante is showing life. Every time we write them off, we're like, okay, now, they're too far back now. Another defeat, that's it, they're gone. They just find a way of fighting back. And that is absolutely encapsulated by El Comandante. I mean, to score a brace like that when his team really needs it. I mean, you know, we thought he was out for the season. And then he comes back like two weeks later. As you say, off the bottom, um, they were so far adrift at one point. Or I think they're about 12 or 13 points away from safety and now they're only six. So in those terms, it's very much possible. I mean, we've, we've already talked in the past about their fixture list being particularly hard. But then, you know, when you're scrapping for your lives, every game is, is a big one. I'm not going to say it's a final. And yeah, I'm not even sure Villarreal fans can work out Villarreal because they've now lost three away games in a row without scoring a goal. But in between all of that, they went to Turin and scored a three against Juventus. So, I mean, this is either Uno Emery 4D chess or you have to kind of ask some questions about his kind of league form because with the squad he's got, I know Jared Moreno's been injured for a lot of the season and we have to acknowledge that. But the squad he's got, they should be on the, on the fringes of the top four, not on the fringes of sixth, seventh. I thought they were almost sort of stagnant when they got to the to the edge of the box, and and to have a team with Jared Moreno, Dan Juma, and Jeremy Pino 
and for it to look that sort of congested, I, I, I wasn't um, too impressed with that. And I'm sure Villarreal fans will, will agree with me one way or another there. Moving on, Granada drew with Rayo Vallecano 2-2. Rayo looked like they were finally going to get another away win. And they were 2-0 two, two up at one point. Santi Comasano got sent off in a pretty ridiculous and silly challenge. But Granada came back to level it up. Jorge Molina thumping the ball in, or scalping as you would say in Scotland. Scalped the ball in off the bar. And in the 94th minute, Luis Mia gets a sort of bar review, controversial handball penalty. And, and slots at home. Pretty big result at the bottom. What were your thoughts on sort of both of these teams? Because I thought, yeah, Rio kind of looked like they're kind of stopping the bleeding a little bit, but um, good spirit from Granada. I could tell the, the kind of antipathy in your voice when you said about a handball penalty again. But um, yeah, Rio, my word, what is it going to take for them to win a game again? I mean, they've only won one game away all season. They're, they've got the worst away record in terms of points taken. They go 2 0 up so early, you think, here we go. Granada are going to be on the ropes now. Rio are going to be kind of running away with this game, potentially. They get to half-time and it's, it's okay. They probably should have been more ahead, further ahead, but they weren't. But you still think, that's okay. They've got this under control. And like you say, Comisania, who's been impressive for them, certainly in the first half of the season, kind of makes a brainless challenge. And then they just kind of lose their heads a little bit because Iola was sent off too. And Granada, they showed fighting spirit. I mean, which I think we've got to credit Ruben Torresia for that because they showed it at Alaves before the break. And they showed it again in this match because 2-0 down at home, the fans would have been fearing the worst. But, you know, Jorge Molina, what a man. Uh, I think we all love him as well. He becomes the second oldest goal scorer in La Liga history uh, with that strike. And, and what a strike it was, as you say. Um, and, and then, yeah, just to keep going until, until the end. It, it's useful. It's more useful for Granada, I'd say, because they inch that extra point clear. Uh, whereas Rayo kind of feel like they've lost the game. Um, and that doesn't help their momentum at all. Speaking of sort of inching a point clear or further away from the relegation zone, Cadiz got a nil-nil draw with Valencia away from home. And um, anything to add on this other than the fact that it's a useful point for Cadiz and, and not so useful for Valencia? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, you'll forgive us for not spending too much time on this game. But uh, Valencia now three clean sheets in a row, which is impressive because they were quite leaky. Um, just a few more signs that Bordelas is getting our defence in shape. And yeah, for Cadiz, away from home, very impressive point. Uh, under Alvaro Rivera, they took, uh, I think, 14 points in 20 matches, and they've already taken 14 in just 10 under Sergio Gonzalez. So he's got as many points in half the time. So that change, as controversial as it was at the time, has paid dividends. He's, he's got the team more effective um, and productive in terms of points. So yeah, Cadiz inching closer, but by no means out of it yet. Definitely. And moving on to sort of the final two games, Athletic Club beat Elche 2-1, which again sort of keeps Elche in it. They're six points clear of the relegation zone. Betis thumped Osasuna 4-1 at home. Um, Juanmi got a double. Anything to add on those matches before we kind of move on to, to MVP at the end? Yeah, I mean, Athletic made it a little bit hard for themselves at the end, allowing Elche to get a, a goal back and they kind of lost their heads for a moment and they kind of panicked a little bit in defence. But they got over the line. Just a quick word on uh, Asia Via Libre scoring his first goal in, in about a year. And it is a, a really special one for him because it's the first time he's been able to score in front of the of crowd at, at San Mamez. So a nice moment for him. And and Betis, yeah, impressive. It's it's all about it's all about the tracksuit, isn't it? Uh, Shandalissimo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, it's it's scary because the results really do back that theory up. They have far better uh, win percentage with with Pellegrini wearing the the, uh, the tracksuit than not. So for that cup final, Betis fans will be praying he wears the tracksuit and not a suit. Um, yeah, the goals from from William Carvalho and, and Alex Moreno were very well very well worth watching. They're fantastic goals. Yeah, no, William Carvalho is an absolutely delicious footballer and very stylish off the park as well, I should say. That leaves Betis uh, four points off Sevilla in fourth place, which I'm sure is, is not great reading for Sevilla, given where they were a couple of months ago. Moving on, MVP. We've just spoken about Betis, and I believe one of your choices does come from that match. Yeah, Juanmi. Um... He's the top-scoring Spaniard in La Liga once again. Um, he hadn't scored in the league since January, but he came back here and he just found that scoring touch again. Just really nice goals, took them well. And Betis needed it because, you know, they had a bit of a sticky run of form. They, they were kind of a grinding result, but it's good for them to kind of have the, the winning feeling and the scoring feeling back um, ahead of the cup final because that is now very much where their season is, is going to be focused on. Yes, they still harbour hopes of a top-four finish, but I think having Juanmi kind of plugged in is going to be massive for them in that final. I think he's the type of player that is kind of a tricky customer to, to defend against. He's one of those that you wouldn't automatically assume is the biggest threat, but he kind of pops up in places where he can score. Um, and yeah, it's, as I say, a double-double with, with the two goals and two assists technically. So a really great day at the office for Juanmi. Just the two goal contributions from uh, from my next pick. It's Jose Luis Morales, El Comandante, who just keep, as you say, he keeps coming but up big for Levante when they need him most. I want to pay specific attention to that second goal where he's through one-on-one with Gerald Rulli, who, who's good one-on-one. He's, he's a good keeper one-on-one, but he, he steps over the ball sort of like an, he doesn't sort of step from in to out. It's out to in. And absolutely sits really down, then just kind of nonchalantly leaves the ball in the net afterwards, goes, celebrates to his crowd. Morales, he, he is one of those players that he's sort of a cult figure and he scores really beautiful goals quite often, but so many big goals for Levante too as well. And you think sometimes maybe he doesn't have the legs that others, the amount of big moments that he comes up with, for Levante and the amount of morale and men- mentality that he brings to them, he he is their big game player. And if they are going to get out of it, it will probably be thanks to thanks to Morales. He will have a big contribution. Speaking of somebody who's coming into their own in the final stages of the season, your next choice comes from Atleti Alaves, doesn't it? It does. Um, again, there could have been a couple of contenders in this match, but uh, I'm going to go with Jao Felix. Uh, once again, he's kind of living up to that price tag you know, finally, as some would say, but uh, he's he's really been the key in Aleti's recent run of, of six wins on the bounce. He's got eight goal contributions in those six matches, and uh, of course, throwing the Champions League as well. He scored the opener, sorry, in the first they get the Wanda, and then played very well at Old Trafford. So he's just showing he's just showing that maturity and that ability to really. He he now appreciates what it is to be a Simeone player. I think he he's a very intelligent footballer. He's a very technically gifted footballer, and and also very decisive. Yeah, and, and I'm going to go with a player for my final choice who was on the wrong side of the result today, but I have to say I thought he was absolutely incredible in the middle of the park, and it's Juan Jordan for Sevilla. Yeah, okay, Sevilla lost, and yeah, okay, they didn't bring too much threat in the final third, 
But every time they did get to the final third and every time they did launch a sort of very promising counter, it was almost always Juan Jordan at the heart of it. His ability to sort of, once the ball had been won back and if he received it or if he had won it back, to hold for that second, to manage to, to aguantar, to yeah, sort of put up um, with the pressure for an extra second to allow his team to sort of move forward, allow the runner to get ahead of him and he could play the pass, it was almost always him. And I think that was a large part of what Sevilla kept, or what kept Sevilla in the game. His work rate defensively was remarkable as well, but him, Rakitic and Dedeli were, were very good. And Barcelona dominated the midfield, but the fact that they kept, there was a point where it looked like Barcelona were almost just crossing. It looked like they that's all they sort of knew how to do. That was because the centre of the field in front of the box was absolutely covered by those three. He's my fourth choice. That gives us Joao Felix, Jose Luis Morales, Juanmi and Juan Jordan, all Jays by, by quirk of coincidence. Moving on to sort of our, our final, is our moments of the week. Matt, what are you going with? I do want to, to make a mention for the beginning of the match at the Wanda Metropolitano. Very emotional moment. Um, uh, of course, Diego Simeone's father, Carlos, passed away uh, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Simeone went off to Argentina, of course, to be with the family. So a very difficult time, of course, for, for the whole family um, and all of, all of Atleti in general. Um, and, and yeah, the scenes at the start of the game, visibly emotional, of course. And I, I can't imagine what it would be like to, to kind of still be grieving in such a public uh, space and to have thousands of people with you at, at that time it was just a really kind of sensitive and, and emotional moment very poignant and yeah you could see he was on the verge of tears welling up um, and he, he really appreciated the fans um, for kind of all being behind him in that moment and uh, it's a bit of a cliche but it, it really is a, a very solid family they've got there at Atleti of course Simeone's been there for so long and you can really tell there's a real strong bond between him and the fans and it's moments like those that you realize yeah when they have bad runs, people say, oh, he's under pressure. He's not, you know, he's the foundation of that club and it's going to take a lot more for, you know, for him to ever kind of part with, with them in, in those terms. So really special moment, but um, not quite the one that we're going to go for because you have a, a moment to, to finish on. Yeah, as much, it was a very human moment, but yes, it doesn't make for great audio as well. It's, it's, it's another sort of reason that we're going to be closing out on Pedri's goal because it was magnificent. It was a work of art. Sits those two players down, sits another down, finds there's four players sort of in front of him blocking the goal, finds the hole in between them. It was a very much a Death Star kind of goal. And manages to find that sort of tiny, tiny gap where, where, where only the, the goal can be scored in. And it was just, it's one of those moments where Barcelona were slight, they were pushing and they were sort of getting chances and not quite able to break through. And they needed a moment of inspiration and Pedri comes up with that. And yeah, it was just, you need to go watch it. It's an incredible goal. And Alfredo Martinez kind of conveys that on Onda Cero as you'll hear in a moment. But that does kind of wrap up our podcast. Thank you very much for your contributions and for, for spending a bit of time with me on Sunday night, Matt. Pleasure as always, Rory. Yep, and thank you to our contributors, Diana Christine and Paul McGarrahy. Check out laligalowdown.com where we've got some great content going up as well. Alex Brotherton was at Old Trafford to see Atleti and the resurgence of Cholismo, so it might be worth taking a read of that ahead of the Manchester City match. 
and check out our Twitter at La Liga Lowdown where you'll be able to vote for your MVP and keep across all of Spanish football. But on that note, Alfredo Martinez can convey the happiness of Camp Nou much better than I can this evening, so I will hand over to him. Thank you very much for listening.